You know, um, where I'm from, we don't call them pitchins, we call them potlucks. But I could swear that a pitchin tastes better. <laughs> uh, my brother-in-law comes from a um, very conservative type of evangelical church, and they refused to call it a potluck. They called it pot providence because they didn't believe in luck, which, of course, our question was, what do you do with the word pot? <laughs> so pitching just is perfect. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are aware, but Christmas Day is on a Sunday this year. So what do you do with that? Well, there's a lot of, of options, of course, that can be done. Um, we have chosen, though, to have our Christmas Eve service on Saturday evening and to forego and to not have church on Christmas Day. Okay, and I know with any decision like that, there will be some that will be happy and some that will not. But those are just the decisions that have to be made. I'm sure there will be churches that will be having church on Christmas Day. But to, I mean, this isn't the only reason, but uh, to keep from having revolt from our young people <laughs> of having a meeting both on their Christmas Eve and on their Christmas morning. No, but one thing that we do want to have is we want to give out to each of the families a devotional to have a time of worshiping the Lord. Um, there, prior to opening the gifts on Christmas morning and have a time of worship as a family. We really want to encourage the dads, the husbands, to lead in that and, and if not possible, the moms, to lead the children in that. We all know plenty of worship songs for Christmas morning. They're called carols. We'll have some suggested ones for you. But that's the plan, is to enjoy our Christmas Eve service as a worship and communion service and to uh, not get together for Christmas morning, but for you guys to focus that time of uh, worshiping the Lord uh, before opening gifts. Maybe you open them on Christmas Eve, but to, for, Sunday for Sunday morning to spend that time together as a family in a time of family worship. And um, I'd be happy to further discuss that with anybody. I see some shaking of the heads and things like that. That's okay with any decision. Somebody's, somebody will be happy. Somebody will be sad. But um, so let's bow our heads as we move into, back into Colossians 1. Father God, we, um, we are so grateful for the opportunity to walk with you. Lord, I am so grateful for this point in history when we have the opportunity to have your Holy Spirit indwell us. What could have been better than Christ himself walking on the face of this earth but to have you within our hearts, in your spirit? And Christ said that. Something better was coming. Lord, we uh, just want to understand you and our relationship with you, the relationship that's available to us if we do not know you, a little bit better. We want to know uh, what opportunities we have to grow in a walk with you in a daily, um, intimate, growing, uh, sometimes 
two steps forward and three steps back, walk with you, Lord. We thank you that this walk is in your grace and in your goodness. We thank you so much that we are um, able to, to do this in your power. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are looking at the upward spiral of following Christ. This idea of an upward spiral of following Christ is not something that's, that's unique to me. Um, many uh, devotional materials will talk of something like that. Um, the president of the seminary that I attended, Robertson McQuilkin, uh, spoke in, in his discipleship book, uh, Walking by the Spirit, uh, this upward spiral of spiritual growth. And it happens to, to anchor itself to this passage in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so we're going to be learning about that today. You might remember that last week we, we learned about the sure foundation that we have in God's truth. That God's truth is a sure foundation. We learned about the servants of that sure foundation. Learning about Paul and Timothy and Epaphras and their joining together in Rome during Paul's imprisonment. And Epaphras had brought to Paul and Timothy this report about the church in Colossae and um, this teaching that was starting to be adopted by some of the people in the church and how it, was, it had the potential of really affecting their understanding of God, their understanding of their walk with the Lord, had the, obviously has the potential of affecting the salvation of future generations growing up in that church. It's, it's an eternally significant issue that Paul was addressing in this letter. And um, I found it interesting that at the end of his letter to the Colossians, he says, also read the letter that comes to Laodicea. So it's not that... You know, this was the only body of doctrine that was for the Colossian church, and that's what they grew out of. They were passing these letters from church to church, from city to city. And so just as for us having the privilege of, of having these inspired letters bound in the scriptures for us, they were reading the letters that were going from churches to churches uh, as well. So we dip back into 7 and 8 a little bit here as we look at Colossians 1, 9 through 14. He mentions Epaphras. He describes him in verse 8 as he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so based on the report from Epaphras, Paul describes what they are praying for for the Colossian church. And that's where we dive into verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, full, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is what Paul is praying for the Colossian believers based on this report that they've received from Epaphras. I can remember um, a fateful conversation that I had with some friends. And this was one of those conversations that came back up and was shared with all of my friends and family at Kelly's and my rehearsal dinner. So you can imagine the type of conversation. And you ever have those moments with your kids when they say something or do something and you're like, oh, I'm going to share that at your rehearsal dinner one day. (laughs) Well, me and my friends were sitting around, you know, um, as high school students, we were probably juniors and, or seniors in high school, and we were sitting around, you know, talking, sharing all of our great wealth of, of knowledge um, with each other late at night. And um, I, I had, unlike my friends in, in high school, I had a lot of friends who were girls that would kind of maybe, at, you know, talk to me a lot talk to me about their, their boyfriends or something like that. Or, or um, you know, I, that was just like, I don't know what it was. I'm just somebody that, that maybe I had kind of a pastoral nature about me um, back in high school and things. And so I had, I guess I took kind of some pride in this fact that, you know, I, I had a way with the women, I guess, or some way. Um, <laughs> And so my friends were sitting here and I thought that they were just, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, without any, any ability or fruit that they were just kind of flailing about discussing girls at this point. And so I interjected in the conversation and said, well, guys, 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 guys. And this was the quote that was brought back up to me at my rehearsal dinner. I said, you don't know women like I know women. <laughs> Boy, I, yeah. Um, so my, my friend brought this back up to me at a rehearsal dinner and he said, Boy, I sure hope that you were right about that because you're in for it. Uh, and, and I've discovered just how stupid that was. And, and I, you know, I, I still don't know, understand women at all. But I, I had thought I had achieved some great knowledge or that I was about to deposit on my friends. The Gnostic teachings that was creeping into the church at Colossae centered around this idea that, that we have this higher knowledge that you silly Christians you know, are just flailing about trying to... to um, understand earthly things but you what you need to understand is that you need to separate yourself from this physical world you need to separate yourself from these physical um, understandings in fact one sect of the Gnostics when they would initiate a person into their religious order at at the end of the person's initiation um, they, they would lean down and whisper something into their ear 
And, and the idea with this is it was the beginning of their being fed secret knowledge. And this person wasn't to share any of that with anyone else. And the idea was they had, you know, they were supposed to feel like, you know, upon hearing this, they were reaching some level of an enlightenment or something like that. Well, Paul shares with the Colossian church that spiritual growth is something very different than this secret knowledge that the Gnostics were trying to, to influence the church in Colossae with. And just to give you an overview here, view here, and this is in your notes, the upward spiral of spiritual growth involves knowing and walking with God, having been set up for success based on God's saving work. So if you were to summarize this passage into one sentence... This would be the sentence. Upward spiral of spiritual growth involves knowing and walking with God, ha- having been set up for success based on God's saving work. So first, what does this mean, that this upward spiral of spiritual growth that is available to all of us, that God wants us all to be involved with, that God desires, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, that this is what he desires in our life. What does it mean to know and to walk with him? Is this first idea, and this flows out of verses 9 through 10. You'll see here. Paul is using in this statement some of the favorite words of these Gnostic teachers because remember their teaching was all about this secret knowledge this knowledge that that really for them it kind of puffed them up it made them feel more superior than other people they felt like they were they had achieved some sort of nirvana of of knowledge so he's using these terms for knowledge, but for the Gnostics, it was very hidden and secretive knowledge. Paul is using a term here that describes a knowledge that is experiential, that it, you would define it as an experiential knowledge which grasps and penetrates an object, knows it well, not just a book learning of it. He describes that uh, his prayer is that they may be filled with a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We are to approach the knowledge of God in a way, in, in a humble way. Maybe, maybe we're talking about a knowledge of we read something in the scriptures and we wonder, what does this mean? We're to seek it Humbly asking the Lord, Lord, will you, will you help me to understand this? Will you open my eyes to this? One of the ministries of the indwelling Holy Spirit for a person who has received Christ as their Savior, this is a $3 word for you, it's the ministry of illumination. Illumination. God has revealed, God has, and let me put it this way, God has inspired scriptural authors. He has revealed his truth through the scriptures. And now for us, having the Holy Spirit, he illuminates the scriptures. In other words, he turns the light on so that we can see it. You know, I've heard testimony after testimony of people who prior to receiving Christ as their Savior, prior to the Holy Spirit indwelling them, they would read the scriptures and they'd be like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And after knowing Christ as their Savior, the scriptures came alive. All of a sudden, it's like, this is me. 
This is talking about me. And so this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is the, the, to receive God's knowledge in wisdom and in understanding. Seeing it as something to be understood. Seeing it as something that's meant to grow us. Not, again, we teeter on this balancing beam of it not being this secretive knowledge or something like that that the Gnostics um, would have taught about. Now, a side note here is, that, is this. We have a propensity to treat God's truth in two ways that are not good. One, uh, we have a way of kind of approaching God's truth without seeking wisdom and God's understanding of it. Of kind of like, well, whatever comes to my mind. It can be one of those Bible studies where people are sitting down there like, well, what does this mean to you? Oh, that's interesting. Well, what does this mean to you? You know, that sort of thing where... Um, like there's multiple interpretations to a statement that's been made. Now, now let me give you a simple statement. The scripture, any scripture has one interpretation, but multiple applications. So what it means is what it was meant to mean when it was written. But how it applies to us can apply in many different ways. We're to approach the truth of God with, with a desire to have wisdom through it, to have wisdom in approaching it. And, the, and there's tools that can help us to do that, in me, meaning looking for certain things, like what's the big idea here? What, how do we understand this? And also to gain understanding from it, um, to help us better understand our world, not necessarily bringing our world to the truth, to the scriptures. But the second propensity that we have is also to hearing a preacher expound on the scriptures, having studied them, and to have this idea that, well, you know, only the preacher can really understand what this means. You know, I, I, I leave that up to him. And that's, an, that's a wrong way to look at the knowledge of God as well. You know, I use very concrete, specific means of looking at a passage of scripture to basically ask the question, what was he talking about? And, and, how, does he, and how does he unpack that? Um, that I could transfer to any other person to help them to better understand what the scriptures is talking about with the ministry of the Holy Spirit of illumination going on there. So anyways, that's a side note there. Notice that he's talking about his prayer is for them to have a knowledge of God's will. Remember that the Gnostics were teaching that the physical world and the spiritual world should have nothing to do with each other. And so either that led them to a moralism that the, that the Essenes and, and the Jewish believers would have grasped onto of, okay, um, I should shun any sort of physical pleasure. I should shun any sort of physical satisfaction for the purpose of pursuing the greater spiritual walk. And the Greeks would have attached themselves to Gnosticism in a way that they would have said, oh, I can pursue any sort of physical pleasure, any sort of physical satisfaction because it has nothing to do with my spiritual life. This is why Paul says, my prayer is that you will grow in your knowledge of God's will. This is specifically his will, his moral will for you. 
his desire for how is it that he wants us to live? How is it that he wants us to grow? How, how is it that he wants us to, to work out our salvation in this world? Now, the moral aspect of his will, you could say um, his will for the conduct of our lives. If you remember, recall maybe from Romans 12, 2, he says, I be tra- do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what God's will is for you. Speaking again, so that you could see the path that he wants you to walk. Paul is connecting specifically knowledge that we gain to the way that we walk. And you can see that also. So as, what's the purpose in it? So as, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So the purpose in his knowledge, he's saying, knowledge has a purpose. I want you to pursue knowledge. Why? So that you might walk in a way that is worthy of him. And what is worthy of him? For our walk to be fully pleasing to him. Will we ever fully please God? I don't think so. But could we have a, could, but we could be, we be fully desiring to please him with our walk? I think so. I think so. So he's targeting what is God's will for their daily walk? He's saying, I don't want you to just pursue knowledge. He's saying, you know, this knowledge that's just secret. God's knowledge is right there for you to learn, for you to know. For what? To affect your life, to affect your walk. This is the first idea that he's giving us in this upward spiral. A quote that I have here is that right conduct must be founded on right thinking. But right thinking must also lead to right conduct. Um, We have a danger having God's truth and having our life of disconnecting the two. And so when we get together with God's people, we can kind of sit there and expound upon, whoa, what, you know, how many pomegranates were there on the top of the columns that went with the tabernacle? And, you know, look at me. I know what color the, you know, the, the, the robe that Jesus wore was or something like that. Paul later writes in his second Roman imprisonment to Timothy when Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus. And he warns Timothy about this. And and Timothy must have been facing some of this kind of expounding for the purpose of expounding's sake. In 1 Timothy uh, 1, 5 and 6, Paul writes this. He says, the aim of our charge, or our charge to preach the gospel, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So that's what we want to see happening among us in our congregation. And here's the danger he warns him of. Certain persons, by swerving from these, by swerving from connecting truth from their walk, have wandered away into vain discussion. Same thing that's going on in the Colossian church and that Paul's warning them of here. We should really see our experience of God's truth and ask ourselves, God, what is it that you want me to do here? Put it this way. In any given moment, each one of us is in the midst of a trial 
or in the midst of a strong temptation. At any given moment, you could probably sit there and you might say, oh, I don't feel like I'm really in any trials right now. You can say, well, what strong temptations have you been facing? Oh, I could think of one. Or the other way around. You know, I just don't feel like I'm being beat up with temptation right now, but I could think of a trial. In any one of those moments, we are challenged with the idea of to pursue how does God want you to live in this moment? How does God want you to respond? To pursue the answer to that question and to gain that knowledge of this is what God desires from me and to have it affect our walk. Um, The way that we're called to respond to the trial is to trust. The way that we're called to respond to the temptation is to obey. But what does trust look like in that specific situation you're in? What does obedience look like in that specific situation you're in? Pursue that answer. Pursue that answer. We're called to gain gain knowledge, but it's knowledge that's specific to what? What we're going on in our life so that it can affect our life at that moment. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't just jump into knowledge for knowledge's sake. Jump in with the purpose of finding how What do I need for affecting my life right now? Not that that should be all of the knowledge that we're pursuing. We still need, obviously, the foundational doctrines and things like that. But, guys, God's word, God's truth is given to us there to grow from in that moment. And he moves on even to say, what's the the result of this? Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work. This could be the fruit of the Spirit that even in the midst of a trial that we're growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. And I left one out, I'm sure. Uh, It could be the fruit of people observing what we're going through and, and it being a witness to them. Bearing fruit in people coming to Christ. It's just kingdom work amidst what it is that we're going through. Bearing fruit for God's kingdom. If you remember, James 4 tells us that God yearns jealously for the spirit that he's made to dwell within us. He's, he's implanted his spirit within us when we've accepted Christ as his savior. And he yearns jealously to see himself coming out in our life. He allows us to be in that trial or to be in that temptation to see his truth grow in us for us to apply it to that situation, to bear fruit for him in that situation. And what do we come back to? Increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice the cycle here. We start with knowing in terms of, okay, whatever the trial or whatever the temptation, the strong trial or the strong temptation that you're facing, seeking out an understanding of what does God desire for me? What can God do in this moment? What does God look for in this moment? And responding to that with trust or obedience, or maybe trust and obedience, and allowing this to bear fruit in our lives. And what does that land us back at? More knowledge, better understanding, you know, preparing us for that next trial, preparing us for that next temptation. There's a cycle going on here. 
<clears throat> knowing God's will intimately, seeking how he desires for us to live at any given moment, leads, should lead us to humbly walking with Christ, trusting him in the trials and obeying him in the temptations. This should lead us to bearing fruit, furthering his kingdom in that moment that he has us living in. And the cycle goes on and on and on and on and on. You see here, we're looking down in that upward spiral of spiritual growth. And I don't, I don't want to be accusing, but when we find ourselves in a place where I'm just not growing, or I've, just, I've been dealing with this same issue for years, it doesn't mean that you're not growing in other places. But I really challenge you to dig in in prayer you know, if it's a specific temptation that you've been facing for years, to dig in in prayer and in God's word and in asking someone to help you shine God's word on that issue to understand what is it that God wants me to know about his will in, for dealing with this. And I want to obey it. I want to put it into practice. I want to bear the fruit of self-control or the fruit of love or the fruit of joy in this moment. And, God, and this is the cycle that God has you in. And that will kick off spiritual growth for you until he lands you at the next need for it. Do you see here why our trials and our temptations bring us back to him in so many ways? Before moving on here... Um, I sat in the library one, one afternoon, and uh, it was a cold, cold day outside. Uh, I don't understand Indiana weather. I think it was cold in October, and it was warm in December. Um, but anyways, I, I think it's kind of like that everywhere. But I looked outside, and I was really amazed to see one of these big buzzards downtown. You know, not amazed to see that, but to see, even in this cold, cold weather, to see him circling and slowly rising and rising, knowing that, that what these, these birds do in order to gain altitude is they need to find a hot column of air. And they've spread those wings out and they just ride that hot column of air. Because, you know, hot air rises and cold air falls. So they just ride that hot column of air to a higher altitude. And I was just looking outside thinking, it is so cold out there. Where is this hot air that this bird is, is riding on? And I remembered, you know, it doesn't matter really um, how cold it is because it's just a matter of that the air just needs to be warmer than the cold around it. But the point here that I'm sharing with you is, is that in whatever trial, circumstance, or temptation you're going through, the answer is to truly give up your right, your supposed right, to decide how your life is going to be lived. And find the truth of how God desires for you to live in that moment. And delay yourself out on that in surrender, in real obedience. And this is something that only the Holy Spirit can bring you to. And to ride on his power 
to conquer that. And that's why Paul goes into this idea here of power. Because the upward spiritual growth involves, the upward spiral spiritual growth involves having been set up for success, given all the power that we need. He prays, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance in the saints in light. So it not only involves knowing and walking with God, but it's having been set up for success by his power. This idea of may you be strengthened with all power, it's that you might be dynamically strengthened with all dynamic power. The term that's used for strengthened and power have the same root word and we get our term dynamite from these terms. According to God's glorious power it is. Notice that? According to his glorious might. For you gamers out there, this would be like may you be weaponized with every weapon available according to the game's designer's desire. You know, it's like he's just overloading us here with power words. And, and that's his prayer for them. And I don't think Paul would have prayed for something that's not available to us. That's, this is his prayer for them. Again, he gives us the power for this upward spiral. Nobody can say... I just didn't have enough strength available to me. You know, God just let me come across something that I just, I don't know why he did it. I don't know why he allowed this because there was no way that I was going to be able to handle this. Well, yeah, in your own strength, there was no way that you were going to be able to handle it. And I I don't want to say this flippantly because I know that there are plenty of people here that have gone through more than I have. But that statement is still true that what God's will takes you to, his grace is enough to take you through. So I shared with this a couple of weeks ago. I don't really completely understand why it is that it seems like we're built up with all this power for what? For patience. For endurance. It seems kind of odd to me. But that's what it is. That's must be what glorifies God. It's not us going out guns blazing, hey, I'm going to take down the gates of hell, but us patiently and with endurance going through what it is that his will has brought us to in the way that honors him with the, with the humble desire of, Lord, how do you want to be pleased here? Lord, give me a heart in this moment for pleasing you in this situation that you've allowed me to be in. What do you desire from me? Knowledge with purpose. Knowledge with purpose. All endurance refers to our capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. All patience refers to a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation, or in the face of misfortune. There's a reason why he lists off endurance and patience. It basically covers all the situations that we can find ourselves in. The Colossian believers would have needed strength 
to hold up under the pressure that they were facing. You know, they would have needed strength. They would have been pressured of, why do you care so much about how you live? That's so unspiritual. Look at me. I can do whatever I want, and I just grow more and more spiritually from it. You know, or, or why is it that you actually get married? What, how unspiritual of you. I've, I've removed myself from that completely, and I'm just becoming more and more spiritual because of it. They were facing real temptations to walk away from the truth that they knew. And just think of all the, you know, specifically the, the Gnostics that were teaching you could dive into any pleasure you wanted. Just think of all the temptations that the Gnostic believers would have been battling anyways, that that would have given them plenty of opportunity to justify living in that way. Paul is telling them, he's praying for them to have all of God's power available to them to endure, to be patient under this. Notice that it's with joy, giving thanks. How is it that we can be thankful under trials, thankful under temptations? And it pops up here too. That his prayer is that they can endure this with joy, giving thanks. This is the stuff like, talk, like what is talked about in James 1 where it says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It's knowing that whatever it is that God's will has brought us to, that we can take to the bank, that it's there for the purpose of growing us in our relationship with God. And as he moves us more and more into a place that that's chiefly what we desire, to grow in our relationship with him, that any situation, quote-unquote good or quote-unquote bad, is an opportunity to grow in our relationship with us, him. He doesn't leave us. Some, would, some might look at you and say, well, you know, because you're going through that, that just means you don't have enough faith. I would look at it and say, not to praise my faith, but because I'm going through this, God has given me the opportunity to grow even more in my faith. And I can find joy in that, gritting my teeth all the way. Tell you, try moving twice in two months. Be surrounded by boxes. Have little boys that want to go outside and then it rains for a week. Oh. But you know, any situation is our opportunity to grow in joy, being thankful and, and see how God is described here. It's focusing us in again on that hope that we have laid up for us. That he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In Colorado Springs, if you ever visit there, <clears throat> there is a, the Air Force Academy. And young men and women go there and, and, and part of what is taught is how to fly. How to fly jet aircraft and the other kinds of aircraft. They start them off in gliders. So if you're ever there at the Air Force Academy, you'll see planes taking off with a glider behind it, attached to it. And they'll take it up to a certain altitude, and at one point, the person driving the glider will pull the lever and disconnect the glider from the airplane pulling it. And they'll learn about you know, turbulences and using wings and stuff like that that I don't know about. Um, but obviously... 
as long as the glider's connected to the plane, it's overcoming gravity. It disconnects, and the purpose of it is to manage gravity, that they learn how to manage wind and gravity as the glider circles and, and glides back down to the ground. Many people, many of us followers of Christ, we so often think of God's power as being like uh, pulling up to a gas station and filling up or maybe recharging our batteries. You know, and, and that's, the, that's the, the type of power that's a, a fuel source. But the way that we are meant to receive God's power and walk in his power is by connection with him. It's not refueling and then heading out, but it's by walking with him. You see, we're like those gliders, but we're never meant to disconnect. Because as soon as we do, what happens? We spiral downward rather than spiraling upward. I've heard plenty of people in many different states you know, that I've lived in say, I just feel so bad because, you know, I had to come back to the Lord and, and, and just be like, you know, I, I, I just thought I could handle it this time. I just thought that maybe I could, I could, you know, walk a little further, you know, without having to come back to him for, for recharge or something like that. And that's not, you know, that's our man type of thinking. But that's not the way that God wants us to walk with him. He wants weakness. He wants humility. He wants a daily walking with him. This is what it's meant when it says pray without ceasing. Talking to him about everything. Connecting everything to him. I mean, how many times do I pull out of a parking space and like I'm that far away from the car that was behind me and I'm like, thank you, Lord. You know, I don't say that because it's like, you know, okay, time to send a thanks up to him. It's because you are here with me. You are next to me. You, you, you are watching over me. In discipleship, I, I consider there to kind of be steps of discipleship of understanding what our relationship is with God. And I don't have a process with this. It's just an observation that I've made over time. But I watch people learn, man, I, I'm to be living for Christ. And, and in order to live for Christ, they start learning who they are in Christ they're a child of the king, that they're fully accepted, that, they're, that they can never lose their position with him. And, and along the way, they also start to realize, I'm walking with Christ. He's next to me. He's, he's doing this. In fact, he's doing of this than I ever would do. You know, this is his body, that, that, that he is always with me. And, and we come to a place where we understand also I'm to be living through Christ. That it's really his power. That, that this is none of my power. That I'm, I'm to be filled with his power at any given moment. And this is a big part of what this passage is talking about here. So don't feel guilty. In fact, we need him at every moment. It's in, only in being connected to him that we're able to grow in this knowledge of him that leads to obedience, that leads to fruit in our life, that, that unlocks more understanding of how is it that you want me to live with you. 
It's in his power. So this third idea is the upward spiral of spiritual growth involves, it's based on God's saving work. It's based on God's saving work. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we're just barely touching on this this morning because really what Paul is doing here is he's getting to Christ. He's getting to Christ. And next week, I've just been really looking forward to the next part of chapter one here because it's all about Christ. And, And it seems like it's just tagged on at the end of here in whom we have redemption, talking about his son, the forgiveness of sins. But that's where he's moving. But he wants us to see here that all of what we're talking about is based in what? It's based in a total forgiveness, a total perfect relationship with him where he sees none of our stuff that would get in the way of that. But to have that position with him that can never be lost, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. This idea that he uses this term for delivered us, it's for he's rescued us. He didn't go in and negotiate with the enemy, with the domain of darkness. He didn't go in and be like, okay, well, how about if I give you some of this for this one? And um, I guess I have enough for that little one there. You know, this term for delivered us, he went in, he strong-armed the enemy, and he rescued us from the domain of darkness. This, dom- this word, notice he uses the word domain of darkness, but kingdom of his son. The term domain here is intentionally different. It, it, it contrasts the chaotic, tyrannical rule of our enemy with the well-ordered kingdom of his son. He took us from that tyrannical rule of darkness and brought us into the kingdom the well-ordered realm of his son. What an amazing thing that we have here in the basis of, uh, of this. Um, notice the description of the son here. And we're going to unpack not these verses, but man, uh, the idea in the following verses that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him and through him, Have all things been created? This is the Jesus that we celebrate over Christmas. And we're going to be focusing on that next week. But he describes him here as the one whom the Father loves. And secondly, as the one in whom we have redemption. The pardon of our sins. We've been purchased. We were rescued, but a great price was paid. That's what the redemption means. It means people who've been bought back by his son leads us well into Christmas, doesn't it? But you know, we're going to practice what's been talked about this morning because um, you'll notice here, what is Paul doing? Based on what the Colossian church is going through, this is a prayer. You know, this is a promise to claim, but it's also something to be asked for. Lord, would you give me the knowledge I need of how you want me to live in this moment that you've allowed me to be in? Would you help me to grow in obedience? 
respond in obedience or maybe this trial? Would you give me the power? Would you allow me to attach to you and be carried through this? And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time praying for each other. Because this is what this passage is. It's, it's a prayer for this. So you might hate me for this. I don't know. But we're gonna, I'm going to ask you, I'll explain it here, but we're going to just get into groups of four or five. Um, it's okay if it's you know, your family um, or outside of that. We're going to get into groups of four or five. And not everybody needs to share. Um, but for you, if you're just like, yeah, I totally know what God's talking about here. Um, we're just, feel free to share that with your group shortly so that we have some time to pray. And then just one or two of you or the whole group of you, if you want, you can all pray out loud at the same time if you'd like to. I like that kind of praying. Um, uh, we're just going to take some time to pray for that. And uh, when your group is done, um, you can just kind of move out in the hallway or hang out in here. But the groups that are that still uh, are praying, we'll just let them keep praying. And the groups that are still praying, you might have to get a little louder because it'll get a little loud in here. But it's okay. There's not an official cutoff time. But I'm going to pray to close this time. And then we're going to just break into groups of four or five. All right? <coughs> Father, I first want to thank you so much for the way that you brought your power to Harvest Fellowship over this last year. Um, Lord, this is a prayer from your apostle to one of your churches, just as one of your churches was brought through a time of um, needing a shepherd but at the same time being shepherded by you. And we see your faithfulness in it. We see, Lord, how uh, the people here of Harvest were able to find what obedience means in that particular moment and had fruit of perseverance and of patience and of seeking you and of growing. And Lord, we thank you for the power that was, was here. And Lord, we pray as a church that whatever moment we are in individually or together, during, I, I pray specifically for this moment of, of I as a pastor, new pastor here, becoming more acquainted with, with the people and the practices of harvest. Lord, we pray for you to Give us a picture of what it means to glorify you in these moments, to glorify you over this year, this time of, of growth and transition. And, and Lord, we pray for your power to do it. Lord, I just pray uh, for us during these moments that you'd allow us to minister to one another um, and to call down uh, your power for these moments that you've put us in. And we thank you for these moments, Lord, if it brings us closer to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.